Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Kamak. Hello, everybody. So we've seen a bunch of new legends and cards from Theros Beyond Death in the past week, and we can't wait to get to them, so we're going to be quick about this. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, jumping into the commanders we've seen. What's the first one we're going to talk about today? So this is Heliod, Suncrowned. Three mana, two and a white for a 5-5 five, five legendary enchantment creature god. Indestructible, devotion to white, less than five is not a creature. Whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature or enchantment you control. One white, another target creature gains lifelink until end of turn. At first I was pretty excited about this card. We'd just been complaining about how white didn't have any good life gain rewards. And although like one counter at a time isn't a whole lot, if you're farming triggers really well, as white is wont to do, this could create a pretty big beat stick out of nowhere. Yeah, I was really excited at first, too. This is a good reward for this kind of like life gain effect. And then we found out it has several infinite combos. Walking Ballista is, is the main one, and there's also Triskelion. Any creature that can remove counters from itself in order to deal damage, if you give it lifelink with Heliod, then... Every ping generates a new counter, and you just do infinite damage. so messed up. And the thing is, like, even though white isn't good at tutoring in general, there are a couple things it can tutor for. So, like, very cheap or very small creatures. Sometimes it can tutor for artifact creatures. So I built this Heliod list, and although, like, the majority of it is things that trigger Heliod really frequently, like Soul Sisters-type cards, whenever a creature enters a battlefield, you gain one life. Those tend to trigger a lot in a game of Commander and allow you to farm Heliod's trigger. So that's like the majority of the deck. There's also just other life gain rewards like Angelic Accord or Crested Sunmare. But just having Walking Ballista and Triskelion and just a few tutors, I found that like the majority of the games, I'm drawing like a Ranger of Eos or a Ranger Captain of Eos or a Recruiter of the Guard or an Enlightened Tutor, even a um, Scrapyard Recombiner. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there is a surprising number of ways to find your walking ballista and as soon as you get one of them the game just becomes like well okay i guess i'll go for it there is some fun tech for example like mindless automaton is a good way to convert your counters into cards because you're gaining so much life like you can ether flux reservoir and just noob tube people out of the game it's also a deck for felidar sovereign it's also a deck for test of endurance but really, all that tends to get overshadowed by the, the raw power of the combo. How do you feel about the design of Heliod? I feel like it is right there. Like, it could have been really cool. I think the only problem with Heliod's design is the activated ability. I think that's a great reward for life gain. And especially in Mono White. Like, okay, I gained a life, my guy gets bigger. I gained a life, my guy gets bigger. Oh, my guy's indestructible, so I can just leave this here, kind of not think about it play my deck like build around this that's great but then as soon as you give this creature gets lifelink thing onto it it just kind of goes into the garbage (laughs) like i really don't like when commanders have functionally one card combos with the commander Mm -hmm. because it just makes the whole game unfun i think we've been pretty consistent on the show that like combos that are two cards or more because of the challenge of assembling that in a 100 card singleton deck are are usually pretty fine but Mm -hmm. yeah 
one card combos are a little much yeah even in a color that isn't traditionally known for tutors yeah i don't think you fix white by giving it really busted combos Mm -hmm. that's not what i would have tried to do (laughs) yeah most of this card is like a great step in the right direction building around what white is already good at and what people kind of want to do with white and commander yeah but yeah i would have changed that activated ability I understand that they like wanted to give you a mechanism to trigger it if your deck doesn't naturally have life gain, but they could have done that in a way that didn't break it. It could have just been like one in a white gain one life or or two in a white gain one life. Just something like that. Yeah. Like you said, this points to a lot of good things and I'm excited for that, but I'm kind of sad overall with just how Heliod is going to probably play out. We are going to be posting a deck list in the episode description, so check it out if you're interested in building around Heliod. The next commander we're going to be talking about is Calafi, Beloved of the Sea. One blue-blue for a star three legendary enchantment creature demigod. Calafi's power is equal to your devotion to blue, and creatures and enchantments you control have spells your opponents cast that target this permanent cost one more to cast. Of the uncommon legends we've seen, this is the one that I think is best, but it's not really build aroundable. A lot of times you would see Kira Great Glass Spinner list. It's a 2 2 flying spirit for the same mana cost, and the first time something targets one of your creatures each turn, it gets countered. This reminds me of that, but worse. I just don't think we're going to get a lot of good commanders out of this cycle of uh, devotion uncommons. Yeah, I don't really see where to go with it potentially you could try voltron with a bunch of devotion maybe but even then it's missing out on a lot of the characteristics that voltron commanders need i think one of the cool things about this if you wanted to do voltron is that you don't necessarily need to invest too much into like buffing its power you can just play like good permanents that Mm -hmm. help and it will incidentally be hard to target and stuff but again like it's not a counter it's not like you have to have two things to answer this it's like spend one more it's not the safest protection that you could have asked for all right let's move on to the next commander which i think we both are a bit more into this is thassa deep dwelling three and a blue for a six five legendary enchantment creature god she's indestructible and as long as your devotion to blue is less than five thassa isn't a creature at the beginning of your end step exile up to one other target creature you control then return that card to the battlefield under your control And she also has three and a blue, tap another target creature. We've got a list for this. It is definitely a blink deck, because there's plenty of good ETB triggers in blue. You can blink your mold drifters, your duplicants, whatever. But I like that Thassa is essentially one part of a three-card combo that I've been using for years. So she combos with creatures that enter the battlefield and recur sorceries from your graveyard and time warp effects. And I think that this type of combo is a lot more pro-social because you got to put it together. You got to get all the pieces, but... You get to play for a while. Yeah, exactly. It's something that takes a little time to put together. But I think that this is a a fun deck. It's got a lot of value to Mm -hmm. to grind through and there's potential combo finish. As far as mono blue decks go, I actually really like this one in particular. People really like Conjurer's Closet. People really like the tricky things you can do with that kind of blink effects. And it's cool that we have it in this form on like an indestructible permanent. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah, I think it's a very cool deck. So if you're interested in checking out the list, it is posted in the episode description. The next commander we're going to be talking about is Ephemia the Cacophony. One in a black for a 2-1 legendary enchantment creature, Harpy. 
She has flying, and at the beginning of your end step, you may exile an enchantment card from your graveyard. If you do, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. What are your thoughts on this one? I saw this and immediately went, oh, this is not a commander card. Like, this is definitely very strong. I could see, like, an arena having a deck where you, like, exile your bad aura to get a 2-2 on turn 3 or 2 or whatever. It comes down early, and it starts hitting hard with zombies early. But then if you're playing commander, you just get wrathed. And I'm really not in the mood to, like, exile my necropotence to Mm -hmm. get a 2-2 zombie. (laughs) Like, Like, what... Yeah, cards do you put not in this an deck? awesome trade-off there. Yeah, like I, a lot of the black enchantments, like, do I want to exile my grave pack to get a zombie? No, I want to play my grave pack, mm-hmm. so I, I'm not super into this. Yeah, I just don't see a lot of easy ways to get enchantments into your graveyard. So, like, the hoop is difficult to get through, and the reward, as you said, is not that solid. A single zombie per turn is not amazing. So people listening to this, like maybe you do like this card and maybe you're, you're thinking about Mesmeric Orb and like other good I, mill effects and I, things I like that. I thought about Mesmeric Orb, but still that's one card. In- yeah, it, it's like if you're going to gear your whole Ephemia deck to tutor for like these good mill effects so that you can get enchantments into your yard so that you can exile them, like that's so many steps. Moving on to another mono black commander. This is Erebos Bleakhearted. Three and a black for a 5-6 legendary enchantment creature god. He's indestructible, and as long as your devotion to black is less than 5, Erebos isn't a creature. Whenever another creature you control dies, you may pay 2 life if you do draw a card. And one and a black, sacrifice another creature. Target creature gets minus 2, minus 1 until end of turn. I love this so much more than the last Erebos. I think the art is also way cooler than the last Erebos because mm-hmm. you can see like his whip is made of people. Yeah, really great detail work there. It's really cool. And then like you can actually build around this. Mm-hmm. Whoa, imagine that. Yeah, there's plenty of sacrifice fodder in black. There's definitely a lot that you can do with this guy. I would say my one criticism, it's not really Erebos's fault, but we just got Yogmoth six months ago. And this card really just seems like Yogmoth, but harder to kill and with less combo potential. In both decks, you're sacrificing creatures to shrink or kill opposing creatures and drawing cards in the process. If your playgroup is really worried about Yogmoth, if they don't like his combo potential, or if you just don't like dealing with all the removal in your meta, then Erebos is going to be a good option for you. Very happy with this one. I think this is a cool thing for Mono Black. Yep. So we've got a list for that one, and it'll be posted in the episode description. Do you want to read off the next commander? This is Timurit, Chosen from Death. This is a two-star for Black Black. His toughness is equal to your devotion to Black. This is one of the uncommon demigods. And Timurit has one Black. Exile up to two target cards from graveyards. You gain one life for each creature card exiled this way. The life gain is really negligible Yes, yeah, commander. And not every deck is going to be messing with its graveyard. There's going to be games where the the exiling from graveyards ability doesn't really do anything. So I don't really understand how you build this guy. And another thing that bothers me is with, like, Calafi. Like, that's not an established character. She can be a demigod, whatever. But we know for a fact that Timoret is a zombie. And zombie is, like, a really mechanically relevant thing in Black and Commander taking away this relevant creature type to give him this new one that doesn't have any tribal synergy, that doesn't have any value, just seems like a waste. I think that this could have been a zombie god, and that would have been cool and (laughs) actually useful. 
not a big fan of the demigod creature type or Timoret. Yeah. Don't love him as a commander, but I could imagine running him in an Arvad the Cursed deck. And Arvad the Cursed is three black-white for a 3-3 vampire that gives all legendary creatures you control plus two plus two. That deck kind of wants to curve out. It's kind of low to the ground. And a two CMC legendary creature is actually relevant for that deck. If we do start getting this trend of like standard sets have less commander relevant legendaries, we're probably going to see a lot more lower to the ground legendaries, which means that Arvad might just get better like Mm -hmm. weirdly over time, which is not something I thought I would say (laughs) when I saw (laughs) Arvad printed. So that's interesting. Oh, the next one is a very spicy commander. Oh yeah, this is great. So this is Perforos Bronze-Blooded. Four and a red for a 7-6 legendary enchantment creature god. He's indestructible, and as long as your devotion to red is less than five, Perforos isn't a creature. Other creatures you control have haste, and two and a red, you may put a red creature card or an artifact creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Basically, they, they just made it so you can't just annihilate people, which is actually wonderful. That's actually, I think, a great thing for this card because you still get to do all the fun things that you want to do with like combat and sneak attack kind of builds without... I'm just going to destroy all your lands. Exactly, yeah. So I would put in some pretty big boys Mm -hmm. if I was to build this list. We've gotten a decent amount of them (laughs) over the years. There's some that are just like value and there's some that are more on the blight steel end of the spectrum mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's a lot you can do like for example hellkite tyrant steal all your opponent's creatures there's, there's so many big beefy guys in red that just really needed haste and are like really a bit too expensive oh yeah and perforos solves those problems and you you get to farm their attack triggers and combat damage triggers and all these things that are harder to get normally in a, in a fair game of commander yeah, so this deck also runs like ways to cheat that sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step line. If you've played with a card like this before, you might know a few of these that we're going to bring up. So like Conjurer's Closet, if you flicker the creature at the end of your turn, it comes back as a different creature and you no longer have to sacrifice it. There's things like Sundial of the Infinite. You can just end your turn, exile mm-hmm. that trigger. Cloudstone Curio. Oh, so yeah. you can drop in a new creature to bounce and save another creature for reuse the next turn. There's some fun stuff you can do with this deck. I love the fairness of it. Like, it's not going to feel fair when you smash in a Balefire Dragon and, like, rat someone's board out of nowhere. But it's so much more fair than, like, what it could have been. And then it lets you play with fun cards like Atali. It lets you sneak in a Heartless Hit Sugo activation. Like, it lets you do all these cool things. So I'm very happy with this card. I also really like Godo Bandit Warlord in this deck. You drop him in, go get Grafted Exoskeleton, equip, and then attack for five, infect, and then new combat step, attack for five, infect. So good. Yeah, I think it's a a very cool commander, and we're going to be posting the deck list in the episode description. This next card is Arasta of the Endless Web. It is a 3-5 reach legendary enchantment creature spider for two and green green, so CMC four. Whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach. Like Timoret, this legend cares about what your opponents are doing, which means that you don't have a lot of control over whether it's good or not. You could just sit down at a table and it turns out that all your opponents are playing like artifact decks or creature decks. Like 
casting a lot of instants and sorceries isn't something that necessarily has to happen in a game of commander yeah because you don't have control over it there's going to be games where it just doesn't do anything at all it's sad but this is an enchantment it is a spider it's got that going for it sometimes the card types are all that can save these things but it's probably going to be good in ishkana also want to say that even though i'm upset about this commander i'm actually not as upset as if this was like let's say a white card green's got like a lot of goodies so i saw this and was like oh that's a bummer and uh, definitely am not as sad as i could have been <laughs> <laughs> the next legendary creature is nylea keen-eyed it's three and a green for a five six legendary enchantment creature god she's indestructible as long as your devotion to green is less than five she isn't a creature and then she has creature spells you cast cost one less to cast and two and a green reveal the top card of your library if it's a creature card put it into your hand otherwise you may put it into your graveyard we're gonna talk about a build that you came up with that's pretty cool but I also just think that there is a green player that just likes playing their big creatures, and there, here you go. You mm-hmm. can just keep doing that, and I'm, I'm okay with that. That's fine. If you just, on the surface level, like put this in your command zone and play green creatures, that deck is just going to be whatever. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine, and, and that's fine. But I think there is a cooler build that we're going to talk about right now. Yes. Over the past year, we've been talking a lot about the number of green cards that are just like, a creature enters the battlefield or you cast a creature and you draw a card we've basically approached the point where we have a critical mass of these and it's helped along by green's tutors because beast whisperer exists that also means that you can green sun zenith and get a beast whisperer or you can summoner's pact or whatever to get a to get a beast whisperer so there's enough of those effects that you have a critical mass you can see one every game And that means that you've solved the card flow problem and you just need to solve the mana problem in order to cast your deck by making it so that all creatures you control cost one less to cast nylea makes it so that one cmc artifact creatures are all free and there's enough of those that you can fill a deck with them so you're running stuff like Arcbound worker ginger brute heap doll inquisitive puppet these random one cmc artifact creatures from throughout magic's history and you're able to just keep going through the deck cast creature, draw one or two cards, cast creature, draw one or two cards, and eventually you just combo out and kill your opponent. After you draw through your deck, there are some infinite mana combos in these colors, and the great thing about Nylea is that she is an outlet for infinite mana. You don't have to like get through your entire deck off of the back of just casting these one CMC guys. You just need to get far enough to get to an infinite mana combo, and then from there, Nylea will dig you the rest of your deck, and then you get your walking ballista and use your infinite mana to kill your opponents. Looking over the list, a lot of these one-drops are like cards that I very much loved over the years, like especially before Commander. Looking at all these one-drops, like it, it's kind of like looking at a bunch of friends that you haven't seen in a long time. I definitely love that Nylea, as a commander, brings all these cards into the format, because there is no other deck that could possibly want a Whisper Gear Sneak Mm-hmm. or a, a sparring construct or a, a straw golem or a straw golem yeah. <laughs> so this is the kind of commander i love she's making the format wider and better and more interesting i'm super into this list and i think you should check the link and give it a shot because it's it's great it's so funny we're into the multicolor creatures now this is atris oracle of half truths they are a three two with menace human advisor they cost two blue black so four cmc when atris oracle of half truths enters the battlefield target opponent looks at the top three cards of your library and separates them into a face down pile and a face up pile 
put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. I've complained about ETB commanders before, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this guy. (laughs) But every ETB commander runs like basically the same bounce, blink, reanimation engines to, to abuse that ETB trigger. And you can easily like swap out Atris for Dragonlord Sidlamgar or vice versa. I really like the effect. I think it's a fun little mini game. But I would have much preferred if it were a different trigger tied to some narrow subset of cards so that this guy could introduce a new archetype into the format instead of just being another card that can slot into an existing one. Yeah, I totally just feel the same way. Like This deck is just going to look the same as like seven other decks in the format and it's going to play similarly because you're in similar colors to a lot of those other decks. I'm just not feeling it. It's so sad. It's a cool ability and I feel like there's a way they could have made that flavorful the reward you get the like little mini game is cool like he could have cost more and it triggered off of something else or he could have cost less and it triggered off of some combat thing like like there's multiple knobs that they could have tweaked to get it to somewhere that was a little bit more build around a bowl and mm-hmm. instead they took the the etb route you can't really do much with that they could have like tied it to a creature type you know when an advisor does something there's things you could tie to this ability and make it feel flavorful. Moving on, Dalakos Crafter of Wonders is one blue-red for a 2-4 Merfolk Artificer. He has tap, add CC, spend this mana only to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts, and equipped creatures you control have flying and haste. This feels like a redo on the part of Wizards. They have attempted to make blue-red artificer commanders for a couple of years now, and I think this is like the closest one to what people actually want to do with a blue-red artifact deck. Totally agree with that, yeah. They started with Jor Weatherlight Captain, and that just became about zero CMC artifacts. Rip through your deck, and that's it. Yeah, which is fine. It definitely introduced a new deck to the format, but it didn't introduce the deck that people wanted into the format. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, it's like we can praise Nylea Keen-Eyed for introducing all these crappy one CMC artifacts in the format because it's already possible to just do big green donks with plenty of other commanders. Oh, yeah. So then they kind of tried again with like Thanos, the artificer from Commander 2018, but he was like kind of slow, didn't yeah. really do what you wanted to do. I think that Dalakos is like the closest we've come so far to actually giving you what you want. A lot of people are going to want to do like a voltron thing or mm-hmm. something like that. I think that's the little spice. That's the cherry on top. I think the real thing is that your commander cost three, has a big enough booty to survive things, and ramps your artifacts out. Casting a six-drop artifact on turn four with no other sources of acceleration is significant. And the equipped creatures you control have flying in haste, this is clearly intended to be Daedalus. So they just want to tie it to that flavor-wise. And I, I think that it's relevant because there are some equipment you can run that generate you value and... A lot of the the creatures that an artifact deck wants to run have activated abilities that require you to tap them. So if you're running like Mask of Memory or a Sword of Fire and Ice or an Explorer's Scope or a Sword of the Animus, like just these cheap little equipment that generate value for you, there's a pretty low cost to running those. And they can also help it make it so that you're activating your Emery the turn you cast her or activating your Goblin Welder or your Goblin Engineer or Delicos himself. One of the things I love about this list, too, is that, like, you can run, like, goofy things like Bludgeon Brawl, Mm -hmm. and it actually ends up pretty good. So Bludgeon Brawl, for those who might not remember, 
is a three mana red enchantment for two and a red. It has each non-creature non-equipment artifact is an equipment with equip X and equip creature gets plus X plus O where X is that artifact's converted mana cost. <laughs> kind of like a goofy little thing, but you, you just throw them in here and all of a sudden you can slap a bunch of like mana rocks on your guys and just go to town and it's wonderful. And it's, and it's legitimately good because they all have flying and haste. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you've ever tapped a worn power stone to equip worn power stone and hit someone for three plus power, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> it's pretty good. So I think this is a fun list and the link to it will be posted in the episode description if you're interested in checking it out. Moving on to Hakdos the Unscarred. This is red, red, white, white for a 6-1 human warrior. He attacks each combat if able. As he enters the battlefield, choose 2, 3, or 4 at random. Hakdos has protection from each converted mana cost other than the chosen number. I complain a lot about like Boros commanders that get in the red zone. I actually really like Hakdos. I legitimately like this deck. I think that when you get kind of a commander that wants to get in the red zone, the reason why I don't like that is you're running the same cards every it, time. It's like the ETB commander problem. Exactly. It's the same problem as the ETB commanders where there's this suite of cards that you kind of have to run because they're the best that do those things. And we're not going to get a huge major sea change of those cards ever. It's going to take years for that to happen. And so just every time you're running your fire shriekers, you're running your whatever might be that you're going to put on your guy. I love this guy because you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like you have to kind of think outside the box, but outside the box is awesome. Like you can like earthquake and clear the board and get in there. Like you can do so many cool things because like as long as you didn't earthquake for like CMC two, three or four, or whatever the number is, like Hakdos doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. So I, I really do love this guy as like a quote Voltron commander the fact that he forces you to think outside the box lets you play with cards that are really fun and uh, a lot more interesting than a normal boros like red zone commander yeah it's funny you're you're right that voltron isn't quite the uh the right word for it because you're not actually able to put anything on him which i think actually makes it better because Mm -hmm. then when they kill him like you didn't lose a bunch of auras or you don't have to re-equip a bunch of stuff Typically, when I talk about Voltron commanders, there's four characteristics that I'm really looking for. Protection of some sort, evasion of some sort, haste, and a high power to cost ratio. So I'd say that Hakdos definitely has protection. He's got protection in spades. (laughs) He also has evasion. Creatures of the unchosen CMCs can't block him. His power is like a little low for a four CMC commander. But you really just have to solve for that and for haste. Yeah. And there are a lot of mass haste granting effects. You can run Ashling's Prerogative. You can run Fervor, Hammer, Perforos. And then once you just give him a single plus one plus one off of like an Anthem effect, suddenly he has seven power and then he's a three turn clock instead of a four turn clock. There's there's definitely some things you can do to enhance the Voltron capability and it's definitely cards you would not normally be running yeah you could run always watching and not only does that push you to a three turn clock but you also can block everyone's everything i'm a big fan of hactos and they've been building anticipation for him for a while like right after the last theros block they mentioned that they had a design for achilles that they like couldn't quite get into the set yeah so i'm glad that they they came back and, and made it happen in this return what's the next legendary creature on the docket so this is Kenoros, hound of athreos This is a 3-3 legendary creature hound with vigilance, menace, and lifelink for one white-black, so CMC3. Creature cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield. Players can't cast spells from graveyards. 
I mean, I saw this and just like immediately was sad for like modern and pioneer, mm-hmm. which is a bad sign for commander. Cause if I'm thinking about those formats, when I see a card, I'm probably not excited to play it in commander. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's pretty much where I'm at with this. This is a very efficient low to the ground attacker kind of hoses some people. I mean, last week we talked about like building a deck and searching terms to build that deck. There's not really a lot here that I would search for, and that is a bad sign. Yeah, like Timurit and Arasta, this legend cares about what your opponents are doing, which means that you don't have a lot of control over whether it's good or not. Some games, you're going to be playing against a reanimator deck, like a a chainer or something. Oh, yeah. And that's going to be great. You're going to be very pleased in in that scenario. Mm -hmm. But some games your opponents are just going to be playing like a token deck or a deck yeah. with a bunch of counter spells and Kunoros isn't going to do anything. You're just going to have a vanilla creature in your command zone. Yeah, if you are playing against that like green beat stick deck, this isn't going to do anything. This is just going to sit there and you're going to attack and it'll be hard to block and you'll gain some life. I guess that's fun sometimes. I really wish it only affected your opponents because yeah, it would have done the same thing in like whatever other formats they're targeting, Mm -hmm. but then you could use it to break symmetry on stuff. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you cast a Twilight's Call and only your stuff could come back? Another thing too is like Twilight's Call, you're not going to run that in modern. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's already like a living death. There's already these other decks that exist that kind of do that better. So I think this would have just opened up space, but they didn't throw this dog a bone. Oh, Oh. do you want to move on to this next one, though? This next one's got a lot more going for it. This is Pelucranos Unchained. Two black green for a 0-0 legendary creature zombie hydra. Pelucranos enters the battlefield with six plus one plus one counters on it. It escapes with 12 plus one plus one counters on it instead. It has escaped for four black green, exile six other cards from your graveyard. One black green, Pelucranos fights another target creature. If damage would be dealt to Pelucranos while it has a plus one plus one counter on it, prevent that damage and remove that many plus one plus one counters from it. I actually think this is really cool. I think this is like more fair Hogak, but also like much more aggressive Hogak. Like Hogak just kind of like wants to get down, come out and start doing its thing real fast. This like wants to get in there and like mess your day up. Like, Belucranos gets in there and is like, I'm going to fight everything and then, like, get in there and you're going to put counters on it. So, I actually do like this guy. My one gripe that I have with it is, like, escape, you can't do that many times, especially when the escape cost in regards to exiling cards is, like, five, six, seven. You're going to have to figure out other ways. Or you're just going to have to commit a significant number of deck slots to self mill effects. Exactly. That is the one kind of downside to this guy. As far as it goes as a card, I think this is going to be a fine deck. There's some tech. That tech would be Mage Bane Armor, which is a three mana equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus four and loses flying. Prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to equipped creature and equips for two. So because it's preventing the non-combat damage every time you fight, oh, no damage gets dealt to Pelucranos. No counters get removed. He's still a 6-6 or a 12-12. Also, Vigor works pretty well. If damage would be dealt to another creature you control, prevent it and put that many plus one plus one counters on it instead. So that will also prevent Pelucranos from getting smaller. (laughs) I don't think it really adds that much to the format, but I also don't think it takes anything away. I think people who might have been averse to Hogak for kind of the weirdness that Hogak has might like Pelucranos if you give them a chance. 
it's also like significant that this is a, a pretty beefy 12 is a lot of power and yeah. toughness. Just imagine you like escape Pelucranos, it's a 12 12. You sacrifice it to like a momentous fall or a life's legacy yeah. or a greater good. Well, I got to discard down to seven, and then you've got enough cards in your yard to escape it again next turn if yeah. you so choose. Yeah, that's a good point. Green gets all this like power based card draw nowadays, and that's uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So it could be a, a fun commander. All right, we're going to be moving on to the main deck cards. So we'll start with Archon of Falling Stars. Four white-white for a 4-4 Archon. It has flying, and when Archon of Falling Stars dies, you may return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. What decks do you think are going to be set up to use this card? So I think that white-black reanimator decks are probably going to be set up to use this guy. The reason being that this goes infinite with a sack outlet and an enchantment that brings something back from the dead, be that Dance of the Dead, Animate Dead, Necromancy, Gift of Immortality. You have a plethora to choose from nowadays. I think like maybe a Tasa Karlov deck that's got a lot of sack outlets, but there's definitely a couple decks in the format that could make use of this card. Next one is Don Evangel. This is a 2-3 enchantment creature human cleric for two and a white. Whenever a creature dies, if an aura you controlled was attached to it, return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to your hand. So let's break this down really quickly. You have to be running auras in your deck. You have to be running creatures with CMC two or less in your deck. Those don't necessarily go together very well. Normally, if you're doing auras, it's like you're doing a Voltron strategy and trying to put them on your commander. The one deck that I can think that would be able to use this guy effectively would be Kestia the Cultivator. Yeah. So Kestia draws you cards when you attack with an enchanted creature or an enchantment creature. And Don Evangel is himself an enchantment creature. He's low to the ground, which is important for Kestia. She really wants to curve out. So there's not much cost to running him in the deck. And then that deck runs auras in the form of control magic effects. And it runs, you know, cheap enchantment creatures, plenty that are CMC2 or less. I don't think this is something that's going to trigger consistently, but it gives you the potential for value. And it's one of the few decks that is happy to run it on its face and meets the requirements in order to get that little bit of value once in a while. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. I think that is like the only deck that would want this, it would be looking for this, but it fits in pretty well. So this next one is Reverend Hoplite, a 1-2 human soldier for four and a white. When it enters the battlefield, create a number of 1-1 white human soldier creature tokens equal to your devotion to white. So this is very similar to Evangel of Heliod, which was a 1-3 for six, four and two white that did the same thing. It gave you soldiers for each white you had. Some differences, these are human soldiers, and also this is five mana. Mm -hmm. And really that part of it, even though you have one less white pip in the mana cost, is great. That that just means that like you're going to get to play this more and you're gonna get more tokens more of the time. You're gonna not have to wait as long. So that's that's actually a considerable margin and five is so much less than six. Like as you start hitting these higher mana costs, it gets harder and harder. I definitely always felt that Evangel of Heliod was too expensive. It just yeah. didn't feel good casting it. I was initially really high on Reverent Hoplite. Now I'm thinking the floor is it's pretty bad. Is pretty low. Yeah. Like spending five mana to get a one two and a one one is yeah. not how you win a game of commander. No, definitely not. Um, so I think I might caution and say that maybe stick to like mono white or heavy white mm-hmm. token builds. But I mean the potential is definitely there for this to be explosive. Yeah. 
Next card we're going to be talking about is Nader Kraken. One blue blue <laughs> for a 2-3 Kraken. Whenever you draw a card, you may pay one. If you do, put a plus one plus one counter on Nader Kraken and create a 1-1 one, one blue tentacle creature token. This card combos with a lot of cards that are already really good in the format. Yeah, I I actually do like this card. I like the agency it gives you. I like that it comes down early. There's just a lot of things about it that are really cool. If you have a skull clamp, you can clamp your token, draw cards, trigger Nader Kraken again. If you have a Sage of the Falls, which is whenever a non-human creature enters the battlefield, you can loot all... Draw a card, pay one, make a guy, trigger Sage of the Falls, loot, trigger Nader Kraken again. You loot as many times as you have in the mana for and make that many tokens. It also works really well with cards like Sage of Fables or Novagen Sages, Shapers of Nature, Zamet Guildmage, all these cards that remove counters from things in order to draw you cards. So you can remove the counter from Nader Kraken, make another tentacle, get another counter, and you're back where you started. It's up, you've got a tentacle and you've got another card. Would you consider running this in Pier and Toothy? I would actually, yeah. It gives you guys and it gives you counters and it's one card. And that's kind of the problem with that list that I've run into is like you need this critical mass of cards that do multiple things. Like all the cards that just are counters or all the cards that just are creatures, they were just not good enough because then you get this AB thing where you get too much of A and not enough B or vice versa. So I think like this Kraken would fit in super well with that or or other plus one plus one counter blue green builds that exist out there how do you feel about the introduction of the tentacle creature type (laughs) like i understand what they're doing i get the reference it's like it's a little guy it's a two three for three you can just see it's like little head out in the distance and then as the game progresses more tentacles pop up like I, i get the flavor and i get that they're the tentacles but it's it's so silly yeah it doesn't really make sense they're not disconnected from the kraken Part of being a Kraken is having tentacles. Like <laughs> It's not another creature type. You're never going to see a lone tentacle out in the wild. Oh, unless something went terribly wrong. Yeah, true. Again, I understand, but... Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think they've been a little bit fast and loose with the creation of new creature types recently. Oh, yeah, definitely. Next card is one with the stars. It is three in a blue for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature or enchantment. Enchanted permanent is an enchantment and loses all other card types. So you may remember this as Enchantmentize, which is one of the playtest cards from the Mystery Boosters. So we may be seeing more upcoming in the future. Slivdrazi. Monstrosity. Oh yeah, that (laughs) that one's definitely happening. Coming soon. The big thing about this is that it just sits in such a weird spot. Like it's not actually like removal necessarily, Mm -hmm. but you can do some interesting things with it. I mean, it can protect your commander. Enchantments have historically been really difficult to deal with in commander. So it's a way to offer protection, make it so that you're no longer vulnerable to creature removal. And it also can shut down opposing Voltron strategies, because a lot of commanders can function pretty well not as a creature. But if your commander is Voltron, or if your commander has an attack trigger, something like that, this card really... Really hoses you. Yeah. It's a weird piece of blue tech, and I like it a lot. Next card is Shimmerwing Chimera. Three and a blue for a 3-2 enchantment creature Chimera. Flying, at the beginning of your upkeep, return up to one other target enchantment you control to its owner's hand. I like that it's an enchantment bounce engine, but I'm not really certain we have enough ETB enchantments that are worth bouncing every turn. Yeah, I think over time we will. So this is another one of those cards I'm just keeping on the watch list. You need more like constellation triggers or like Oath of 
whoever. Yeah. It also does work well with sagas. So depending on how oh, many yeah. new good sagas we get. That's true. That's definitely true. Stinging Lionfish is one of the blue for a 2-1 enchantment creature fish. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, you may tap or untap target non-land permanent. I think that this might have a place in Wrath because it's sort of functioning as that cost reduction one. Yeah. You can untap your artifact mana. Wrath is going to be running a lot of those because they're historic. And I think this could be a way to make your spells cheaper. Like, just imagine... You have a Stinging Lionfish and a Wrath and a Nyx Lotus or a Gilded Lotus. Every spell you cast on each opponent's turn is going to cost three less. That's a pretty big game. Next card is Thirst for Meaning. This is two and a blue for an instant. Draw three cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an enchantment card. So this is the enchantment Thirst for Knowledge. It's still very different because... Pretty much every deck is going to run some artifacts. Mm -hmm. And then the decks that wanted to run Thirst for Knowledge didn't need to push their artifact numbers up too high for that to be good. Where, like, Thirst for Meaning, not every deck is going to be running the same density of enchantment. So this is not going to be a draw two at instant speed as much of the time. Artifact Ramp is available to artifact decks of any color identity. Whereas, say, like, Enchantment Ramp is only in enchantment decks that have a green color identity. Yeah, exactly. So there's just fewer enchantments that are free to run than there are artifacts that are free to run. And so it's hard to to pad that density, as you said. This next one is very good. Yeah, this is a very good card. Wave Break Hippocamp. Two and a blue for a 2-2 enchantment creature Horsefish. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, draw a card. So any blue deck with a lot of counterspells and other instants wants this card. It's so easy to trigger. There's also a couple commanders that give yourself flash, like Raph Capuchin and Teferi Mage of Zalfir. Kestia wants this card just because it's a cheap enchantment creature, and even that deck has a couple instants that can trigger it. I think this is just a great new addition to the format. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think this just is a good card draw engine. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of thing we were talking about when we were talking about our like hopes for theros it's yeah. just generally good enchantment creatures yeah more of that mm-hmm. so excited to see it this next card is less good yeah so this is Erebos's intervention so this is a cycle this one in particular is an instant that costs x and a black choose one target creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn you gain x life or exile up to twice x cards from graveyards i don't care <laughs> <laughs> I don't care at all. <laughs> There's so many better ways to kill creatures. You don't really want to spend a slot on like exiling cards from graveyards. The format of this cycle is basically like you get two options. It's an X spell. One option just does something straight, and the other version is always like twice X. And to be fair, this one is useful. I could see why it's kind of the charm effect. Like, oh, I might not want to exile cards all the time, but I do want to kill creatures, so I might as well have this. So I could do both, so like whatever I need. But at the same time, like I'm already doing both of these things so efficiently in my decks currently that I don't think this edges out any other card that was like kind of marginal. Like I never had a Nile Spellbomb and was like, man, I wish this could kill a creature. Yeah, I'm just not super high on it. Next card is Nyad of Hidden Coves. It is two and a blue for a two, three enchantment creature nymph. As long as it's not your turn, spells you cast cost one less to cast. Would you run this in like a a Raph Capuchin? I would definitely put it in that list. 
even if I don't play this in a ton of lists, I'm just happy that this is a pretty cool effect on an enchantment creature. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. In addition to potentially running it in Raph and Teferi, Mage of Zalfir, I would happily put this in Kestia. The version of Kestia I run has like Negate, Arcane Denial, some spells that will get their costs reduced by the Naiad. Next card is Shoal Kraken. It's four and a blue for a three five Kraken. Constellation, whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Every time I've seen one of these constellation cards since that those first ones, I have been kind of sad that they're just on, on regular creatures. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel here. I feel like if this was an enchantment itself, like if this triggered itself, like I'd be a lot higher on it. I think that this is a good thing. Like I think this is a pretty good constellation trigger. It seems like it fits in with a lot of the themes of the set. It gets enchantments into your graveyard if you want that. It draws you cards, gets you closer to the things you need. But it's five mana for a three five that doesn't give you value initially. So I'm I'm not super into it. Yeah, it compares kind of unfavorably to Sage of the Falls from Throne of Eldraine. Yeah, exactly. Because Sage of the Falls, it's the same mana cost for a two five. Whenever it or another non-human enters a battlefield under your control, you get to loot. So Sage of the Falls triggers itself. Shulkraken does not. And also, like, the category of non-human creatures is a lot easier to fit into your deck and a lot easier to combo with than the category of enchantments, which doesn't necessarily fit into your deck so well. Yeah, you kind of have to be in that zone in the first place. Next card is Treacherous Blessing. Two and a black for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, draw three cards. Whenever you cast a spell, you lose one life. And whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. It's a efficient draw spell, and there are some commanders out there that are pretty good at sacrificing it, so you don't have to deal with the... The lose life trigger. Yeah, there's God Eternal Bantu, which allows you to sacrifice permanence when it enters the battlefield. Vivictus Asmati, which allows you to blow up your permanence when it attacks. Corvold, Rakdos the Defiler, they all give you mechanisms for sacrificing these deal with the devil permanence. Yeah, I, I really like this card. I think that these black enchantments that give you value, like eventually we're going to get to a critical mass of like these cool black enchantment cards and eventually eventually we'll get a black enchantress or something. <laughs> One day, that's just that's my hope. Definitely not in this set is what it's looking like. Next card is Woe Strider. Two and a black for a 3-2 horror. When it enters the battlefield, create a 0-1 white goat creature token. Sacrifice another creature to scry one. You can escape for three black black and exile four other cards from your graveyard. And Woe Strider escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. It is expensive, but I actually like this a lot just for the fact that it is a sack outlet that I don't have to do any more work with. I can just mill my library, get this in the graveyard, and get it onto the battlefield. That kind of alone is why I like this card. Is it as good as other things? I don't know. It's got a lot of downsides. I would never just run this as like a 3-2 with a goat and scry. Like mm-hmm. Viscerisia is just like a lot better. But I run Viscerisia in a lot of decks. I do like this guy. This I actually probably will end up playing in lists. Just because I think he does enough. There's certainly a lot of text on this card. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel the same way. I don't normally love sacrifice outlets that don't generate cards or mana. Yeah, exactly. But I've also run Viscerous here in decks. So I could see myself running this because there is, you know, a little bit of added upside with the ability to recur itself and the, the goat token. I think it just barely gets over that line for me. <laughs> Next card is Ox of Agonus. It is three red red for a four two ox. 
When it enters the battlefield, discard your hand, then draw three cards. And you can escape for red red and exile eight other cards from your graveyard. Ox of Agonist escapes with a plus one plus one counter on it. There's like a lot of angles on this card that kind of lead me to thinking that there's very few decks right now that want this guy. And I think you had one that was pretty good with him, like pretty decent. Yeah, so Neheb Dreadhorde Eternal is two red red for a 5-4 trample. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can discard any number of cards, draw that many cards, add that much red that doesn't leave your mana pool until end of turn. Neheb Dreadhorde Eternal is really good at filling your graveyard, so it'll give you what you need to escape the ox. It can also help you get your ox into your graveyard so you don't have to pay the retail price for it. I think that could be a good use for this card. It's just free value eventually. Yeah. I think it could also be good in Neheb the Eternal because Neheb the Eternal, it's got so much mana and it runs out of cards really quickly. So this is a way to just get a couple of extra cards in your hand. And then if you get it in the graveyard, you're going through your deck so quickly, you're, you're getting so many things in your graveyard that I think you would be able to get the escape cost pretty consistently, especially because Neheb the Eternal runs so many like rummaging effects. I very much agree with you. I just think that this is such a weird confluence of things that there aren't many decks that want this right now. But mm-hmm. I, I agree that the the Nehebs, they want these guys. Next card is another from the Intervention Cycle. So this is Perforos' Intervention. It's X and a red for a sorcery. Choose one. Create an X1 red elemental creature token with Trample and Haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Or Perforos' Intervention deals twice X damage to target creature or Planeswalker. Man, even though it's like two times Blaze, I still don't care. Yeah, like the fact that you'd have to spend four mana at sorcery speed to kill a 6-6, that's not good enough for Commander. Yeah, and then the rate on the elemental is kind of abysmal. So like same thing, if you spend four mana on this at sorcery speed, you get a 3-1 trample haste. That's pretty garbage. (laughs) That's what you're doing in Commander. That's how you're spending your card slots. This does not seem like a Commander card. Next card is Tectonic Giant. It's two red red for a 3-4 elemental giant. When it attacks or becomes the target of a spell an opponent controls, choose one. Tectonic Giant deals three damage to each opponent, or exile the top two cards of your library. Choose one of them. Until the end of your next turn, you may play that card. I don't think that it's going to trigger that often off of getting targeted, and I don't think that dealing three damage to each opponent once a turn is that exciting. Yeah, But I do like the idea of getting a little bit of card advantage and card selection each turn. So like in mono red, probably maybe red white. Yeah. But I would give it the caveat that I think it needs a commander that grants it haste and isn't perforos, which basically means I would run this card in Urbrask and nowhere else. (laughs) I think this is an interesting mix of abilities. I think that a lot of these cards are very much like the, the intervention cycle that we, the one we just talked about, this guy, that you can very clearly see how they're geared towards standard. Is it just me or does this set seem very complex? There's a lot going on. There's a ton going on and there's like a lot of like interwoven themes on individual cards themselves. I've seen more cards with four abilities today yeah. Yeah. <laughs> while doing this episode than like in any other spoiler season since like modern horizons yeah it's been a long time they're definitely complex this next card's got a lot going on too actually looking at it this is underworld breach it is one in a red for an enchantment 
Each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost, plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. Then it also has, at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice underworld breach. So this is what I was talking about as they're using enchantments as like sorceries this mm-hmm. time around, which I, I very much enjoy. To me, it just looks like a Yawgmoth's will. It just seems like a very powerful combo enabler in red decks that run a lot of rituals and can cast a big chunk of their library in a single turn. So I was thinking like Zeta, Hedron Grinder, that deck is able to draw tons of cards, runs a bunch of rituals, it can fill its graveyard full of spells, and then could easily cast Underworld Breach and then recast that entire graveyard. Sir Kara, Neheb the Eternal, those are also very good at just casting a lot of your library in a single turn. Maybe even like Neheb, Dreadhorde Champion, or Mizzix of the Is Magnus. All of those decks I just mentioned, like they have really high adoption of Past in Flames if you look at EDH rec. And this card just does a lot of what Past in Flames does. Yeah. Like this and the Ox are just really making me hope for like a red self mill commander. I just want to yeah. put my deck into my graveyard. Yeah, let me do this. Green card time? Yes, green card time. Nessian Boar is three green green for a 10-6 boar. All creatures able to block it do so. Whenever it becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller draws a card. Extremely narrow use for this, but it's got 10 power for five mana. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had to think about Xenagos and mm-hmm. going Xenagos into this, somebody will probably not have a blocker up and then you just get in for 20. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just hit him real hard. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, cheap guys with big power are things to keep an eye on. This next one's the first of the intervention that I'm like into. I know. I was just about to ask like, man, all these interventions suck, right? Why are they printing these cards? <laughs> so this is Nylia's intervention. X green green sorcery. Choose one. Search your library for up to X land cards. Reveal them. Put them in your hand. Then shuffle your library. Or Nylia's intervention deals twice X damage to each creature with flying. Oh, uh, wow. That's actually very good. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of damage to creatures with flying. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> it's it, This is nuts. Like, if I could run multiple Sylvan Scryings, I would a lot of the time. Yeah. And this is one gigantic Sylvan Scrying, and I'm into it. I'm no, super there for that. Definitely. And I, I love Hour of Promise. Like, you can cast it for three and just get the best land in your deck if your deck has one awesome land, like yeah. Gaia's Cradle. Yeah. But if your deck has, like, land-based combos, if you're in a green-black color identity and you can get Urborg and Coffers, yeah. that's a big game. That's huge. And it's four mana. It's four mm-hmm. mana to, like, explode your mana. If you're running like a Field of the Dead or something like that, or a Valakut or something like that, like there's so many things that this gets. This is great. Yeah, I, I run Sylvan Scrying in a lot of decks. I'm very happy to be able to run this. Do you want to talk about this next guy? So this is Nyx Lotus. Four mana for a legendary artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped, and it has tap, choose a color, add an amount of mana of that color equal to your devotion to that color. This seems like a big game for monocolor decks. I think not green. Mm-hmm. I think green has better ramp options. And I think if you're running the artifacty version of like red decks that exists, not that one, because you're probably only going to tap for like two or three mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And a lot of things do that and don't enter tapped. But I think the other color identities, the, all the mono ones are good to go. You're going to have devotion mm-hmm. <laughs> with a lot of them, especially black, especially black and yeah. then white will have it too. Like this is so good in, in like just a big 
I'm on a white list. I agree with you. Although um, I did a little bit of research on this one, and I don't actually know if Blue is going to be able to use it that well. That, uh, that makes sense, though. I was looking on EDHREC and looking at the top 100 cards in each color and just trying to figure out how much devotion existed in those top cards. Four of the colors, white, red, green, and black, were within a range of 86 to 103 mana symbols in the mana costs of permanence in the top 100 cards of that color on EDH rec. Blue was a huge outlier. It only had 62. Oh, geez. Yeah, mana symbols in the costs of permanence on EDH rec. So I think that just because so much of its powers and its instants and sorceries, you might not have enough permanence to, <laughs> to really make the Nyx Lotus exciting. Not always going to work out. But you are always going to have access to your commander. So at the very least, it's going to be like a, a fire mines vessel. Yeah, but I agree black is going to be able to use this most effectively. I think that's all we have to talk about today. Yes, there'll be, I think, one more week of spoilers. Correct. We're going to be finishing off next week. And I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Will, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Cooper, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, and Benjamin. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, you can check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. And happy new year. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.